Welcome to the quarantine edition of the Pineapple Couch. Today is Thursday, March 19th. Should be the first day of the NCAA tournament. But instead, we are going to be talking about NFL free agency. I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Robbins. My father, Jeff, how you doing? Very well. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you. Now that we don't have sports, we're going to be getting back into battles, and we're going to be hearing a lot more from you. So, But we do for the first time, or not for the first time, maybe for the last time in a while, have actual sports stuff that we can talk about. Because maybe for the next three months, there's going to be no new news, but the NFL gave us free agency, which has been a roller coaster for the NFL. We don't usually see this amount of quarterbacks changing teams, and obviously the names, Brady, Rivers, we'll get into that. I mean, let's just start with Tom Brady. I mean, can you believe that Tom Brady is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer? Yes. It's shocking. It's just of when you think of like the all-time greats, you always picture them in like with Tom Brady, you obviously picture him as a Patriot. With Patrick Ewing, you picture him as a New York Nick. And then Olajuwon is a Rocket. But you do act, this does actually happen. So as shocking as it may seem that Brady switched teams, Montana did it, Johnny Unitas did it, Brett Favre obviously. Akeem Olajuwon was a Raptor. Yeah, and the have you you've obviously seen the Patrick Ewing magic? Yes, that is weird. Um, so let's just get into it. Okay, so it seems that Brady wanted to leave. He talked to Robert Kraft and pretty much said, "I'm done." And Robert Kraft respected his decision after 20 years. You kind of have to, but it also seems like the Patriots were kind of fine with letting Tom go. Did you get that vibe? Yeah. I keep the analogy I'd make. I feel like I've seen this before and it's very similar to what happened when Bill Walsh retired as coach of the 49ers after they won the Super Bowl in the 1988 season and the 49ers after that won the Super Bowl the next year. And the reason why it reminds me of it is because you got to remember the egos that are involved here with Belichick and Brady and that's not a knock on them that's how these guys get to the where they're at but the 49ers in 1989 were so motivated to prove that they could win without Bill Walsh that they had maybe their best team that year and Walsh wasn't there it was George Seifert who had taken over and the players they wanted everyone to know that they weren't just Bill Walsh's system They were a championship team in their own right. And I find that very similar to what's going on now, both with Brady and Belichick. I think Belichick wants to show he can win without Brady. And I think Brady wants to show he can win without Belichick. And I I agree everything with with what you just said. And Brady has chosen, I mean, I kind of made fun of Tampa Bay at the beginning, but he has chosen a very good landing spot in terms of offensive weapons, he's going to have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard, and is it Ronald Jones, the running back in Tampa? I think so, right? Yes. And then also, so a report came out today, the Bucks still have $30 million in cap space. And this is kind of like the NBA. Players have been reaching out to the Bucks because they want to join Brady. And one of those players, obviously, that everyone's always talking about is Antonio Brown, because Antonio Brown and Brady have kept in close contact, apparently. And Brady was really pissed off when they cut Brown because he had no weapons last year. I really like the Buccaneers' chances to make a run for the Super Bowl. Am I jumping the gun? Do you agree? I mean, surrounding Brady with that. 
it's a big deal to change teams. I mean, we were just talking about the 49ers. They didn't change anything. They went back to the same training camp, same locker room, same player relationships. Going to a new team is a whole different ball game because of the culture. Now, they have Bruce Arians in Tampa, who I think is a very good coach. And But it took Belichick a long time to build that culture. So if I were the, the Bucks and I had $30 million, I would not be looking to bring in Antonio Brown with all of his baggage. They have good skill position yeah. players in Tampa. I would be buying linemen is who mm-hmm. I because Tom Brady gets hurt and none of this matters. Yeah, and so with that thirty million, I agree they should focus primarily on the offensive line because their defense actually was fifth overall last year. The Bucks have they have some players. They have Shaq Barrett, they have Levante David, and they have a good secondary. I don't know any of the names off the top of my head, but they're a good defense. So the Bucks I think are legit. And on the other side of it, now the Patriots for the first time in 20 years, besides the Matt Castle year, you have a new quarterback in New England. Bill Belichick, like you said, is probably hungry to prove that he can do this. The names that have been thrown out there for the Patriots to go get, you have Jameis Winston, you have Andy Dalton, Cam Newton's available. I don't think they're going to go on in that. But they also have Stidham, who is the backup. Jared Stidham, I believe is his name. And a lot of reports are saying that Belichick wants to ride with that kid. Which isn't surprising because I really think Belichick, like you said, just wants to go prove, I can win with anybody you fucking give me. You give me Andy Dalton, I'll go win a fucking Super Bowl. And so we'll see if it happens. But the Patriots did re-sign the McCourties, and they also re-signed their Slater, their special teams captain. So besides Brady, the nucleus of leadership in New England is still there, and they also play in the AFC East, which is going to give you a couple free wins every year. So I still like the Patriots to be... um. I'm not saying like they're going to win the Super Bowl, but I think they'll be dangerous next year, and certainly they're not going to be a pushover because I think Bill Belichick wins you at least eight games. He's that good of a coach. Would you agree? It's hard to say. I can tell you I'd be shocked if you brought in Jameis Winston. I think Bill Belichick would kill Jameis Winston (laughs) in the course of one game with some of the decision-making. So I could see him promoting from within because he strikes me as the kind of guy – especially at the quarterback position that likes to train his own people as opposed to bringing in a Dalton, a Winston who come with all of their habits and baggage and who aren't really likely to dramatically change the way they play. These guys are who they are. Mm -hmm. And you can answer, you know this better than I do. When Brady first started for new England, he was a nobody, right? A complete nobody in the sixth round. Like you, were you aware of his Michigan career, or was he just a complete nobody? I was not aware. Of, well, he didn't have a great career at Michigan. He was. I mean, it's not like they were winning championships. Yeah. He. I remember when he took over for Drew Bledsoe, and I remember that my fantasy football team had just lost its quarterback, and I wish I could say that I drafted Tom Brady because I saw how great he was going to be, but it was just totally blind luck. I picked him up, and... And Nobody knew what Tom Brady was going to yeah. be, and anybody who says they did is lying. So Belichick may be thinking, like, I'm just going to do Stidham because he's done it before, and like you said, the no previous baggage. He, Jameis and Belichick, I think you're right. That would last maybe a week in training camp. I don't even think he threw the workout. Yeah. Um, so let's go on to the other big QB move. My well, guy. Just before we move on, I'd say – 
it's a big stretch to assume that the Patriots and Belichick will a be able to seamlessly maintain their culture without Brady because he was a big part of it. Yes. And bringing in a no-name quarterback. I mean, Brady didn't come in the year his first year and win 12 games. He came into a playoff team at the tail end of their run and mm-hmm. and continued it. I the the Bills are going to be good next year. They're I wouldn't just assume that the Patriots are locked in for the AFC East the same way they've been the last however long. Well, obvi- I completely agree, but what I think is going to end up happening is the Bills maybe get to a, off to a hot start. They obviously just got Stephon Diggs. You're going to see the Patriots at really great value, I think. I think people will forget like to win the AFC East. I think I could see Belichick, you know, he's... Have you this, seen any of the money lines on the Patriots? I haven't. Yeah, I'd be curious about that. Because you're right. I mean, they could... The division isn't great, and the Bills... They're kind of like the classic team that everyone's going to jump on their bandwagon this offseason, but they'll have a little bit of a tougher schedule and a little more expectations, and it might take them another year to really get to the next level. So, yeah, I mean, the Patriots will play good defense. They will have a line that protects the quarterback, and they will get production from their skill positions. Yeah, and so, I mean, all this is going to come down to we're going to finally find out, like you mentioned, what Belichick can do without Brady, and vice versa. Let's move on now to my guy, Philip Rivers. He is headed to the Indianapolis Colts for a one-year, $25 million deal. He has, uh, he's very, he's been coached by Frank Reich before, so he's very familiar with that system. I would argue that this is maybe the best offensive line that Philip Rivers has ever played for, maybe besides the Luis Castillo, Marcus McNeil at that peak when they had LT. But even towards the end, those guys were getting hurt. Um, oh, and Nick Hardwick was in there. Mentioned that, but I think this could be his best offensive line. Quentin Nelson's a beast. What do you think of this move by the Colts? Do you like it, or do you think I love it? I called it from you did day right after the season ended. I knew Philip Rivers was going to leave, and I thought he was going to go to the Colts. I think he will, abs- barring injury, I think he will be fantastic. In Indianapolis, I think the fans, he's perfect for that city. Just Mm -hmm. a wholesome, heartland type of guy. He is going to be appreciated in a way he hasn't been appreciated throughout. He's going to actually play home games. He's going to play home games. It's his first home game. He brings culture with him. I mean, you go into that Colts locker room and it will be a different place. And they they have T.Y. Hilton. They have a great offensive line, like you Marlon just mentioned. Mack. They are going good defense. That's a great place it, for him. It's going to be great. Um, not only is it might, maybe the best offensive line, I would argue it's the best coach he might have ever played for in Frank Reich. I mean, North Turner was a great offensive play caller, and Marty Schottenheimer, they shouldn't have fired him after they went 14-2. and But I really like Frank Reich. I think him and Phillip Rivers will work together well. I don't think Phillip Rivers and Anthony Lynn were on the same page at all this last year. And I think that's why you saw a big drop-off from Phil. You look two years ago, he had the Chargers at, what were they, 13-3 and that year? I don't think he's fell off that far from then. So if you surround him with a good team like the Colts and a good defense, I really like I like the fit. Um, what do you think the Colts do with Jacoby Br- Brissett? Because that's a $21 million hit 
on their side? Like, do you think they try to move on from him, or do you keep him because you only have Phil for one year? Well, I think it's pretty apparent the Colts don't believe in Brissett long-term, or they never would have brought in Phillip Rivers. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to justify spending that kind of cap room. I mean, if you're the Colts, the only reason you bring in Rivers is because you're going to try to make a championship run. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So why would you keep $21 million of dead cap space for a quarterback you already decided isn't your long-term solution? Yeah, and say what you want about Phil, but he's durable. He's very he's durable. He's getting older. It's extremely possible that he could get hurt in the first game. I don't know. He's Iron Man. He's an Iron Man. Could happen to Brady. Could True. happen to anyone. It's the NFL. You take a hit in the wrong way, you get a lineman to roll over your leg. Well, look at Cam There's Newton. No guarantees. That's a Cam. I think Cam Newton is exactly what you're saying. He goes to the Super Bowl, and then the next year he just gets hit hard. You remember how hard Cam Newton was getting hit that year? Just every time he was on national TV, it looked like he got a helmet to helmet. And he has not been the same since then. And now he's, well, he's looking the, for he's his the team. classic athletic quarterback, right? So when Cam Newton's athleticism goes, his he's not that accurate large, of a passer. He's not a pocket passer. That's not his skill set. So when he loses that athleticism, I mean, how many times have we seen this? We've seen it a billion, and it's like I'm shocked that people don't see that coming with Lamar Jackson, but nevertheless. Um, let's move on to maybe the most – I mean, Brady was pretty shocking going to the Bucks, but maybe the most shocking part of this was the DeAndre Hopkins trade to Arizona. So the information on that so is Hopkins in a fourth-round pick for David Johnson in a second-round pick. My first reaction, I know this is probably yours, is like, what the fuck? You have Deshaun Watson and you take away his best target? So, but the Texans have reasoned this as that Hopkins and Brian don't get along. To whatever the extent is, we're not sure. DeAndre Hopkins came out and said that some of the stories that were out there about Bill O'Brien and his relationship weren't true. But it obviously wasn't great. And they didn't want to pay him because he was making $13 million a year and wanted to get that up to eighteen twenty. And he wasn't going to report to training camp if he didn't get that. So the Texans cut bait, and they send him to Arizona, and they get back a second-round pick and David Johnson. David Johnson, kind of a tough sell. He does make a lot of money, and he has not been nearly as productive since, like, two years ago. He's been pretty much a train wreck, just a lot of injuries. But what the Texans are doing is they're making a gamble, it seems like, on this year's wide receivers class and maybe hopefully get a potential replacement for Hopkins and that. I see the reasoning. I don't like it because when you have a star like Hopkins, you keep him. He's a sure thing, and you have him paired with Watson, a young, talented quarterback. I just don't see why you would do this. What is your take on this? I don't think we know why they did it because it's inexplicable on its face. So there has to be something going on that we don't know about that would explain it. I see the trade as DeAndre Hopkins for a second-round pick. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Texans cut David Johnson before the season starts, and this is really shedding cap. I think it's a bad idea. If their plan is that they're going to go get a 22-year-old that just left a college program and have him come in and replace DeAndre Hopkins even even. 70% of his production, that is a pipe dream. It is very rare for rookie receivers in the NFL to come in and produce at a very high level year one. Not just because they're 
young and learning the league, but they also are developing their relationships with their coaches and quarterbacks. And so it doesn't make sense because the Houstons were not, you know, they're not a disaster team that hasn't shown an ability to at least get into the playoffs. No, yeah, they're... They have a franchise quarterback. I would love to get Deshaun Watson in a room and have him give us his take because I find it very difficult to believe that the Texans would get rid of his star receiver without him having some kind of involvement in that. Yeah, and to add on to your point about, I mean, drafting young wide receivers, you can just look at the last four. Look at the last. You can look at the last fifty years of drafts, but if you just want, you can look at the last four years of drafts. It's a fucking crapshoot on which receiver is going to turn out. You got a guy like Debo Samuel last year for the 49ers who pretty much outproduced all first round taken wide receivers, right? And that's about as much production as you can you can hope, hope to for. get for. But and if you look at take a look at two other guys in the league, Kenny Galladay and Mike Williams. Both third or fourth year guys. Both very high draft picks. Both really came into their own as reliable receivers this year. Yeah. That's what their third or fourth year yeah. in the league. So it takes time. You don't it it's very very rare to have receivers come in and reliably produce game by after game on a freak, you know, that regular reliable schedule that you get from a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, and another thing that makes this so weird is that the Texans other receiver Will Fuller, while he's great, he's always hurt. He's a field stretcher. He's not a number one. He's not going to catch passes over the middle. He's fragile. He's great when you are next to DeAndre Hopkins and yeah. they have to roll all the coverage toward him, and you can run him on fly routes 50 times a game. It's just it's, there, Like you said, there has to be something that happened underneath because DeAndre Hopkins, he's obviously on a short list. He's maybe I'm trying to run it through my head right now. I think he probably is the best wide receiver in the NFL maybe right now. Um, so that's shocking. Speaking of wide receivers, though, Stephon Diggs is going to join Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. The details on that trade would be, so the Bills, this is another thing that makes this Hopkins trade. Just what the fuck? So to get Stephon Diggs, who I would say is not as good as DeAndre Hopkins, and I think everyone would agree, they gave up a first, fifth, and sixth round pick this year and a fourth round pick next year for Stephon Diggs. Didn't Diggs just sign a deal? He just signed so they, one. They're picking up the the entirety of that. Mm -hmm. um, I guess what I would say is that the Bills probably knew something about DeAndre Hopkins that we don't. That's interesting. That That is maybe what is going on because just when you look at that trade from a value standpoint, it's like when you try to do shit in 2K and you just get denied and denied. It makes no sense. I think the Bills kind of overpaid for Stephon Diggs, but I'm I'm not like I don't think it was a bad trade by any means because I do like getting Josh Allen some weapons and like a real number one wide receiver. Um, but I do think that Diggs going there is gonna contribute to what you said earlier about maybe like a little inflated expectations for the Bills because it's like oh now they have Stephon Diggs and all this and it's going to take time for Josh Allen, a young QB, for him and Stephon Diggs to get in a rhythm. And Josh Allen, as much as I love him, what we saw in the playoffs last year, he still has a lot of room to grow and become a better quarterback. So, But I like the coach in Buffalo. I like the move. 
Uh, anything else you have on that? I love the stallion, but one of the reasons I love the stallion is because he's so raw, and he's gonna make mistakes, and he's gonna gunsling, but two, three years from now, he's gonna be, in my opinion, elite, great. Plus, he can. He's huge. He's an athletic guy that, unlike Cam Newton, doesn't really need his athleticism in order to be effective. It helps, but it's not. He has a necessary. fucking cannon. He has a massive arm. Um, he's like 22 years old, 23 years old. He went to where did he go? Wyoming. Wyoming cowboy. Was he uh, good? At, well, obviously he was good for to you get think drafted. I was watching Wyoming football. I'm trying to I'm see. No like idea. <laughs> um, Stephon Diggs is a great pickup, I think, because he's a very versatile receiver. He can run routes on the outside. He can run routes on the inside. He has the speed to run deep routes, but he's also a good route runner that can get open so i think your point is right that it will take time to, for them to integrate especially because the stallion is so raw <laughs> but um I, I like the pickup i do too um on the other side of this you're a, a well-known adam thielen fantasy owner how do you think losing digs affects thielen and the vikings this year it's kind of like good and bad. His volume will go up, but the coverage on him will probably increase. Mm -hmm. But with Dalvin Cook, I still think he's in a really good position. Oh, definitely. And he may even, if he can stay healthy, he should have a monster year because who else are they going to yeah. throw it to? I think if the um, Vikings can draft well with these picks, I think it's kind of a win-win for both teams in a way because – the Vikings, like you said, had Cook and Thielen, and then they have all these young picks, and Diggs was not happy in Minnesota. It's been that way for, like, more than a year now. He and Kirk Cousins do not seem to Kirk Cousins is such an interest. His um, – I know you've never seen his Instagram. Kirk Cousins is one of the weirdest people in the world. Just the, the He's just so strange. I don't dislike him. He's just a strange guy. Um, anything he always struck me as likable. Yeah, That's I love the thing that that you like that. I don't understand so much when you see him having problems with other players, is that I've never gotten the vibe from him that he was a jerk. It or doesn't seem like he even has like a big ego either. No. Like, kind of seems like a pushover. Maybe that's it. Yeah, um, I mean, and Thielen and Diggs are two very expressive personalities to put him with. And then I think a lot of the people in Washington when he was there didn't like him because he was just getting franchise tagged every year. Well, if you remember, he got drafted the same year by the Redskins as RG3. So was he so was weird. in a tough spot in the sense that the Washington fan base was so vested in RG3 and their expectations, especially because he looked like he might actually be good. Yeah. Um, One injury and then he's gone. Another example. That injury in the playoffs, and then we never saw that again. He had other problems. I don't think his decision-making was necessarily the best. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a big problem for him. Um, Jeff just had to take a call. Jeff, always a pleasure to have you on the Pineapple Couch. Stay tuned, though, because Dustin, the guy who does the music in the beginning of the podcast, and we love him for that, me and him are going to be breaking down Iron Man 1 which is going to be the first of a series where me and a collection of friends ranging from Dustin, my friend Peter, uh, Mark, Tim, and we're going to break down all the MCU movies leading up to Avengers Endgame. And then 
movies have been put on delay right now because of the coronavirus, but hopefully by the time we have all those out, the new Black Widow movie might be out. And then, yeah, it's going to be weird without sports in this time. So any ideas you have or things you guys want us to talk about, let me know. Tweet at me, text me, however you want. And if you want to come and join the podcast. Oh, my gosh, folks, we have breaking news. Breaking news on the pineapple couch. The Rams have released Todd Gurley. That is all I have for you right now. We will... Wow. Todd Gurley released from the Rams. I know he had a bad year last year, but damn. He was that... Wow. Folks, you're genuinely listening to me reacting to this live. This is nuts. Todd Gurley is no longer a Los Angeles Ram. I'll have more on this later. Stay tuned. Because there was breaking news. Jeff Supplemental is, edition. Yeah, Jeff is back for the quarantine edition. There's going to be a lot of quarantine editions. But Todd Gurley, like I just said, was released, waived by the Rams by waiving him today. They saved $10.5 in cap space. I mean, that not less than two years ago, Todd Gurley was one of the top three best players in football. How good he was rolling with the Rams. I know, obviously, with running backs, you don't rate him that high. But he was very, very productive for them. And this is just the latest example of why you should not pay running backs. That's what I take away from this. What are you? It's just all part of the continued devaluation of the running back position in the NFL. Um, There is a realization in the NFL that running backs have short shelf lives. There is a belief in the NFL at the management level that they are replaceable. And there's a lot of evidence to say they're right. Look at, for example, Austin Eckler. 100%. How much is Austin Eckler making compared to Melvin Gordon? Or did over the last three years? um, Millions and millions of dollars. Austin Eckler was at like 750,000 until after the season. If you took the collective production between Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler over the last three years, who's, who's had more production? A couple of years ago, Gordon had a lot of touchdowns, but I would I would it's say at least Eckler. Close. No, Eckler would be the. I would say I'd lean Eckler because of his. He can catch passes and so he's better at reading lanes. So I think. if you're a GM in a salary cap league, what is your conclusion? Are you better off getting an offensive lineman or a great cornerback or a linebacker who can rush the passer and cover, or are you better off getting? a running back when probably half the league have running backs a that they platoon and b that they didn't get until the third fifth round or look at Mostert. yeah and was he even drafted no that's the thing and a, an example of what you should really be investing in if like I, we're not saying that the run game isn't important it's obviously important but what you need to invest in for your run game i would argue is offensive line because an example, think about, like, this was about five, six years ago. Remember DeMarco Murray's year in Dallas when he just went fucking off? DeMarco Murray wasn't that good, but it was they had the best offensive line in football. So that's what you can do. You can get value at the running back by either picking someone up in free agency, not paying that much, or late, late draft pick, and then you invest in your offensive line, and I think that's yeah. how you do it. And you have multiple running backs, like you said, Mostert, like the Niners did. I think Dallas did it right with DeMarco Murray because was he a really high draft pick? No. 
So he was. They didn't have to give him a big contract as a rookie or as a young player. They got ninety percent of his production over the course of his career because how many great running backs are there over the age of twenty seven? Adrian Peterson's the only one. Frank Gore. Yeah. Okay. Uh, LaShawn McCoy. Yeah. There, My apologies to Frank Gore. There are. Well, McCoy too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but those guys are unicorns. You can't draft a guy and think that, okay, I got my running back for the next 10 years. That's not how it That's works. That's not how it works. So I think Dallas did. DeMarco yeah. Murray is the classic example. Let's put it this way. If you could rewind the clock, is there any doubt that Philadelphia would not give him that contract? Oh, there's no way they would do that. Because another thing with the DeMarco Murray thing, like you said, like how the Cowboys used 90% of him, they ran him so fucking like much. Like a dog. And th- so when you're seeing that... They're doing it to Zeke right now. Yeah, and they're just going to be done. And so... Look at... Let's let's talk about Zeke for a minute, okay? He might... I don't know how many... I don't know his contract situation, but let's just assume he has a few more years on his deal. He signed it last year, so yes. So they're going to get uh, pretty much the majority of Zeke's career production. If you look at it and compare it to other running backs and somebody, what's his next contract worth? I would argue there's probably not a next contract. It's not worth much because because of the risk. Yeah. If you're a running back that wants to have a long career, you have to kind of like load manage you load manage in a way too where you and that's not really your choice as the running back the team has to load manage but if you're a team and you're paying this young kid who's making half or even less than what your big name players are making you just run him into the ground like for lack of a better word that's what they're gonna do that's the financially viable the best way for them to do it so i think we're going to continue to see that it's really unfair it's incredibly unfair because nfl careers are so short and running backs are so important, but they're not really being compensated fairly. If I were an agent in the NFL and I represented a bunch of running backs, I'd have serious problems because you are using guys up before they're able to, to make their compensated money. for their production. But Kareem Hunt, I mean, obviously he, there's other things I mean, with him, but he, he was other he was the young. But when you looked at him this year when he played, he was not that what he was in Kansas City. They ran him. That's there's well, look at Billy. Melvin Gordon. Well, Melvin Gordon's washed, and that's what the Chargers they did. And I think it'll the be same really things about to happen to Todd Gurley. Oh well, no, Todd Gurley was already washed. If anybody gives him huge money, they will regret it. Yeah, I agree. And what will be interesting is probably the next two cases of this. Uh, what the, we saw with Gurley will be Barkley and Zeke. And it doesn't mean I'm not saying. That Gurley, Zeke, Bark, these guys aren't great players. They're great. They just are not worth a lot of money within the structure of the current salary cap and collective bargaining agreement. It's wrong. Yeah, I think Zeke makes around twenty mil a year, and Austin Eckler last year made seven hundred fifty k. I mean, it's it's just even if that's such a big advantage to have. Let's accept accept for the sake of this discussion that Zeke's the best running back in the NFL. Okay, Christian McCaffrey twenty million dollars. No, he's not. Christian McCaffrey is another example of they're just running him the fuck into the ground. Great player, fantastic player, not worth a long term huge expensive contract because 
nothing that has anything to do with Christian McCaffrey. But when you take the collective history of the running back position and look at production over the course of time, it's, not there. it's just not worth the risk. Yeah. Um, so I think, wow. Especially when you tie yourself down. I, I mean, and, and this is the NFL, so they're not really tying themselves down. What you really have to look at in these situations is the signing bonus mm -hmm. because that's what gets prorated over the course of the contract for cap purposes, and that's the money that actually goes in the player's pocket. Ignore the last three or four years of any NFL long-term deal you see because it's Fair most level. likely getting restructured or the player's getting cut or they're going to do something different because – that's not how it works. Isn't that with the Jimmy G situation in San Francisco? They front-loaded his contract, right? That's why they were able to have the discussion about whether or not they were interested in making a move to Brady. Clearly, they did have that discussion. Mm -hmm. But um, the only way, if, if, you, if Jimmy Garoppolo's contract was guaranteed, <laughs> yeah, that, con that discussion never even happens. Yeah. I am still just – I know Gurley wasn't that good last year, and I know we've seen this time and time again with running backs. It though it, it is shocking just how quickly the fall from, like, two – not the beginning of this season, but the beginning, beginning of the season before that, Todd Gurley and the Rams were the talk of the town, and now – It's like the margin for error is so small. Yeah. So if you lose just that little burst that separates you, it has an impact that is significant. And it's hard to maintain that level of these guys get hit. It's the most like brutal position wrecks. in the NFL, I think, running back. Just, I mean, they take big hits. I would say the line is far more brutal. Than yeah, but you're just position. a bigger person there. When you're getting hit every play. Yeah, that's true. I'm glad I'm not doing that. Um, anything else on running backs, the NFL? Um, Earl Campbell is greatest running back of all time. Hmm. Would you? I mean, like, what about AP? Earl Campbell is the greatest. Is Adrian Peterson in the top five? Yes. Is LT? Mm, right around there. Hmm. One of the best running backs I ever saw was Earl Campbell. Um, but again, you want to talk about a guy that they were running that guy. I wish I had the numbers in front of me. The number of times they ran that guy a game was insane. Isn't that why Barry Sanders retired? No. Why did Barry Sanders retire? He got sick of losing on the Detroit Lions. Ooh. Shout out to Stephen Young. Sorry you had to hear that. The problem with Barry Sanders, people may disagree, he was a great player. He had way too many negative plays. Like so, he was taking unnecessary risks? Well, he was on bad teams, and he always had you know a ton of people in the box. But, yeah, he would try to make big plays, and suddenly you know it's second and 15 because he got – he had a big negative play. And with running, you know, you got to piece when you have a team like that Lions team, you had to piece together a whole bunch of plays to score because they weren't great passing teams mm -hmm. and just you create down and distance problems. Yeah. All right. Well, Dad, thanks for coming on. Uh, um, one last thing. Well, yeah, keep going. The floor is yours. Um, are we going to return to battle discussion? This is the next episode. So we're preparing this with Dustin and I reviewing Iron Man 1. And then we're going to pair a battle with... Uh, so there are three battles I'm considering. All right. Well, give the people some options. The first is the battle of Canae between Hannibal and the Romans. Is that the Battle of the Bastards one? 
partially the Battle of Bastards is partially based on the Battle of Connect. Okay. Um, the other one is Gettysburg, mm. and the last one is Midway. Mm. Those are the three I'm three. All right. Well, so we're through. we're putting our feeler testers out to the audience. They'll let us know. Um, maybe they won't, and we'll just get to choose because I think either way it'll be a good story. Um, I also want we're gonna start. You and me, I want to start talking about maybe some old college basketball teams, some old things, because we're going to have to fill this time with something because it doesn't look like there's going to be sports till at least late June, and I don't even know if that's going to happen. Oh, one quick thing I wanted to run by you is that Adam Silver said that the NBA is actually considering permanent change to their season, which I think by that means starting on Christmas, which I am all for. Are you? But there are too many. The NBA season is way too long. Cut it by 20 games, start it on Christmas. The, the regular season games are totally meaningless. The owners just don't want to give up that money, though. So that's, I feel like it's never going to happen. Because they, they don't want to give up the 20 games. Well, Neither here's do the players. Your, here's your chance to do it. In the One of the things that people your age, I think, are going to see is a lot of things are going to change when we come out of the other side of this pandemic. And that's oh, the kind of thing that might change. Saints coach Sean Payton tests positive for coronavirus. It's just going to keep happening every day with people, obviously. But We could talk a lot about that, I would say. Might have Joe on. He's been studying some shit, and he uh, knows a lot. So the invitation is open for him to come on. There are some very promising studies out of Stanford where malaria drugs are having very high rates of effectiveness against the coronavirus which would be very good because those drugs are already in large-scale production and mm-hmm. could be easily shifted over to current people i would tell your listeners that the next two weeks to 30 days are critical stay because at home. the big issue is not whether or not people are going to get infected people are that's going to happen. The issue is trying to make sure that everyone doesn't get sick at once so that the healthcare system gets overwhelmed so that if you do get sick, you can't get care because all the beds are full. That is a very real concern. This this is a big event that you're you guys will remember for the rest of your lives. Mm-hmm. And in a couple of weeks, if things go badly, people are going to look back at some of the behaviors right now, like the people on the beaches at spring break or still gathering in bars and stuff. People licking subway seats. There's going to be a dramatic change to that. You think it's going to have like a long a lasting impact on like the way our culture is of large gatherings do you think we're going to see that start maybe to go away I think there are big events in cycles of history that change the way things were before and I would use a couple of examples of like let's take World War II prior to World War II in the United States you were in the midst of the depression We were not a world power militarily. Uh, We were not a large foreign presence in terms of our footprint. Um, 
World War II happens, you come out the other side of that, all of those things are not the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that this event, along with some other things that are going on with globally with China and some other things, um, I don't think the current political order will be the same on the other side of it. I don't know what that means or how it will look, or but it's not going to be the same. Interesting. Well, everyone listening, stay at home, listen to the Pineapple Couch, watch some movies, um, and stay tuned because we're going to be breaking down Iron Man 1, one of my favorite movies, next. Dad, thank you for coming on, and we'll be hearing from you soon. Can I make a viewing suggestion for yes. your listeners who are love basketball and miss the tournament? Please. Watch the 1988 finals between Kansas and Oklahoma where Danny Manning puts on the greatest performance I have ever seen in NC2A tournament history. All right, there you have it. 1988 National Championship, Kansas-Oklahoma. We'll be right back. All right, welcome on back to the Pineapple Couch. Um, I'm joined by a good friend, Dustin, and we are here to talk about Iron Man 1. Dustin, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies, and more importantly, it sets up, this movie sets up everything for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, a little, before we get into it, we're going to start breaking down these Marvel movies to start with, because there are no sports for the foreseeable future. None. So There's none. There's nothing. So what we're going to do is we're going to still give you your sports news, whether it comes, maybe it's just NFL free agency stuff and rumors, I don't know. But in the meantime, we're going to start breaking down movies, starting with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, leading up to Avengers Endgame, and then hopefully by the time we've gone through all those, Black Widow will be almost out, or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series, and we'll just go right into that. But nevertheless, I think this is going to be fun. And if you have any movie recommendations, feel free to send them over because um, we have a lot of time on our hands. A lot. <laughs> um, all right. So what we're going to do, how we're going to break down these movies is I'm going to start with like a general plot summary. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go back into it and look at it, break it down a little more in depth, character by character. And then throughout that, we'll just any conversations that pop up, we'll just get into it. And after we do a couple, we'll probably have more of a routine. But I think this is going to be fun because I think both of us have seen this movie maybe over a hundred times. Yeah. And I think in the last couple of days I've watched it like three or four times. So That's preparation, folks. That's the pineapple <laughs> couch. Um, all right. So here is my summary. And then Dustin, after it, you can maybe add in anything I missed. So Tony Stark, Robert De played by Robert Downey Jr., is a billionaire genius playboy. He's taken captive by a terrorist organization known as the Ten Rings when he's showing off a new missile for the army in somewhere in Afghanistan, I think, right? Yeah, I think it's Afghanistan. It's called the Jericho missile. Yeah. They want him to make the new Jericho missile he created for the Americans or they they'll kill him. And so basically when he gets they like blow up a tank and then right next to him so he gets a bunch of metal into his uh chest and this doctor there named Jensen puts a magnet in his chest which stops the shards from going into his heart. So he's he's barely alive. But they want him to stay alive to build them this missile. So instead, with the help of this guy, Jensen, fellow hostage, really smart guy, he builds the Iron Man suit and it breaks out. When he returns to the U.S., he shuts down Stark 
industry's weapons industry, much to the chagrin of his partner, Obadiah Stane. <clears throat> he does this because while he's captured, he sees a bunch of stark weapons, and he realizes that he's not just making weapons for the good guys. He's making a bunch for a lot of bad guys, and he doesn't want that to be his legacy. Um, and yeah, so his partner, Obadiah Stane, who worked with his father, is really pissed off about this. So Tony, in the meantime builds a better Iron Man suit, and we find out that Obadiah Stane had ordered the original hit on Tony in Afghanistan. Tony figures this out with, through the help of Pepper Potts, played by G Gwyneth mm. Paltrow, and um, he goes to fight Obadiah, and we find out that using the, uh, the blueprints left in the cave where Tony was a, capture, a captive... Obadiah then builds this new giant Iron Man suit known as the Iron Monger. Um, Iron and then Monger. Iron Man basically wins this fight that happens on the freeway in Stark Industries by having Pepper blow up the arc reactor right when Obadiah Stane is over it, which causes him to blow up. And then which, after, which was his father's work, was yeah. the arc reactor. That was his father's big thing. So he had to destroy his father's work. Just to survive, basically. Yes, yeah, so right and that's now. a big, which is a big thing. It's a big deal, especially in this in this story. Good point. And then, so after this, obviously, a lot of destruction happens. So there's a press conference, and Tony is told to say that the Iron Man is his bodyguard, and so that is actually what Iron Man's secret identity is in the comics back in the day. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. people didn't know Tony Stark was Iron Man. They just thought it was his bodyguard, and which is really funny because. Um, you get a lot of funny things in the comics of people making fun of Tony for having a bodyguard when yeah. in reality it's Tony. It is Tony. And so he goes to a pe press conference and he's about to read like a, a script of what they're telling him to say. And instead of that, he drops maybe the most iconic, well, one of the most iconic lines in movie history and says, I am Iron Man in the credits hit. What a rush. Yeah. that it, It's so sick. And he only says, I am Iron Man twice in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, and it, the first... The first time is fire. It, it's great. It's fire both times. A little sadder the second time. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so let's go back into this movie, and let's look at where Tony was at before he becomes Iron Man. So he's really... What you see about Tony is he totally doesn't really have any regard for where his weapons are going. He kind of blindly turns an eye, and he's a playboy, billionaire drunk all the time, date, dating supermodels, all that st fun stuff. Doesn't really, like, he's not a philanthropist, so to say. He kind <laughs> of is, but he's not looking out for the world as he does later when he becomes Iron Man. Yeah. And so a lot of this movie is really the character arc of Tony mm -hmm. doing that. And honestly, the big thing of the MCU, all these movies together, is kind of Tony's character changing throughout that time as well. Yeah, the technology he provides is pretty important yeah <laughs> and so the people who um capture tony is a terrorist organization known as the ten rings and that was hired by obadiah stain tony stark's father's longtime business partner and mm -hmm. tony's now business partner because obadiah wants control of the company yeah and obadiah gets even more mad when Tony comes back and starts canceling when his weapons. plan doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Mm -hmm. And why his plan doesn't work, I guess this is a good time to talk about one of the best characters in the MCU, because he's only here for one movie, but great character, Jensen. Jensen. So he's the guy who helps Tony Stark. He's the, he's like a fellow captive there who's smart, 
and he's like Tony Stark's assistant in building the original Iron Man. And so how Tony powers the whole Iron Man suit is actually a mini arc reactor, just like his father had worked mm-hmm. on some 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and so with the help of Jensen, there's some really like powerful moments between them, actually. That yeah. Jensen, um, Tony asks Jensen about his family and family, and he tells Tony that he has a family. And then um, as Tony eventually breaks out, Jensen helps him and sacrifices his life for Tony. And Tony goes, I thought you had a family. We need to get you there. And it turns out that Jensen's family is dead and that he says, I'm going to see my family. And he says a very important thing to Tony. And what was that, Dustin? He tells him not to waste his life. And so that's when we start to see the character shift in from Tony becoming more of a humanitarian and caring about others a lot more. Yeah. And so that's why he goes back and cancels their weapons section because he realizes that his weapons are going into the wrong hands and he doesn't want anything to do with this. Yeah, immediately. He does it immediately. It's the first thing he does. When he gets back, he goes, he lands at the airport, gets a cheeseburger, and tells everyone that they don't make weapons anymore. <laughs> yeah, which Obadiah is pissed about, and obviously, but he's not making it as apparent to Tony because he's kind of still like laying low and figuring out what his plan is. Yeah. Um, and let's look at another part of the movie here. Tony becoming Iron Man. So we get to see the process of Tony like creating the Iron Man suit to be what we know it as. There's a really cool scene where the suit is all gold. And he's like, that's a little too flashy. And so they add Hot Rod Red, and you see for the first time the red and gold Iron Man suit, which is incredible. And um, Tony starts testing it out. He flies it up to as highest elevation it can go to... break some sort of record right isn't that why he did that or he was just testing he was just test he breaks through i mean he doesn't tell anyone he breaks the record but he like breaks the record yeah doesn't he go into space doesn't he freeze yeah yeah he freezes mm-hmm. and so that's a kind of interesting little uh nugget there how when tony flies up as high as he can into the sky he freezes and so he keeps that piece of information in the back of his head for later in the movie when he fights Ironmonger obadiah stain he flies all the way up to the top and Ironmonger is with him and is pretty much talking shit like, of course I was going to get you. And then Tony casually says, how'd you fix the ice problem? And Ironmonger goes, what ice problem? And at that moment, his suit freezes and falls to the ground, and Tony had already fixed the ice problem. So yeah. what you see in this movie is just what a freaking genius badass Tony Stark is. And that's really all in Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. It's... Yes. It's I don't actually think that I'm comfortable saying this. It's he is the best depiction of a superhero we've ever gotten. I'd say Christian Bale Batman's up there, but Yeah, but still I, Iron but Man there's been so many Batmans, so yeah. it's kind of hard. There's only been one Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> and what was interesting I, I heard about this uh the other day is that before they made this first Iron Man movie, everyone in the years prior had always been casting Tom Cruise for the role of Tony Stark. And boy, folks, did we dodge a bullet there yeah. getting Robert Downey Jr. Because I think Robert Downey Jr. not only makes these Iron Man movies great, but he is the center force of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which had the highest yeah. grossing film of all time. He's so essential. Yeah, and the way think? that this movie was made, now that, now that the whole Thanos thing is rolled out and we're on to like a whole new generation of superheroes and we got like, we got all this. So we got the the. We got more Doctor Strange. We got, we got so much Thor, stuff. Thor. We got so much mutants. stuff coming out. 
Scarlet Witch. We got all this stuff coming out now. It's like they set stuff up in this movie. What when this movie came out? Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight, and the, some of the stuff they set up is only becoming relevant in twenty twenty. Yeah, it's crazy. It's wild. <laughs> and what's also this was such a leap of faith by Marvel Studios because if you think about it, before this, superhero movies, the most successful superhero movies really of all time were the Spider Man and Spider Man One. Yeah, those, and Spider Man One and Two with which uh, were which Tobey Maguire. Which yeah, great the movie. first one great for sure. And then. Um, Batman Begins had come out, which was kind of yeah. like a darker take, but it was it was very good. Yeah, they got Christopher Nolan for that. Yeah. And the yeah. X Men movies were, eh, they were struggling throughout. The Wolverine one was good, but it it was like it wasn't going anywhere because I knew it wasn't in the MCU. MCU, so I knew it wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. And so <laughs> this leap of faith in Iron Man isn't as like now everyone knows who Iron Man is. Before this, he wasn't as well known of a character. And they took a, le- a leap of faith on Iron Man and then consequently Thor, Hulk, and Captain America after to create the Avengers and we see what it's become. But it's important to remember that when this was happening, it was they were Marvel was not owned by Disney. They were an independent studio. It was a risk. And of course they had um there's a story their director John Favreau, who is really great, and he actually yeah. stars as Happy Hogan in the Iron Man and Avengers movies. There's a story about how him and Robert Downey Jr. were together, like, talking about the movie, and they were trying to cast Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. And when he found out Gwyneth Paltrow was going to join the movie, he started crying, because he was like, holy fuck. Yeah. Like, we got this. I like, would love to interview John Favreau, because he's doing Mandalorian. He's like, a genius. He's, he's a genius. He's they might hand great. Star Wars over to him. They sh- Dude, he, I wish they would, he would have been able to. You know, have more input on the on the new movies. Yeah, that really could have used him. They really could have used him. Um, and so, speaking of Gwyneth Paltrow, let's do a little more character building. So, Pepper Potts is Tony Stark's assistant throughout the movie, and throughout the movie, you can tell like there's some love, chem- there's some chemistry between yeah. them that they're both fighting, but they both really care about each other. Um, they have a, a great dynamic, not only in this movie but all the movies. Um, and then also another character would be Happy Hogan, who we just mentioned was John Favreau. He is Iron Man's quote unquote body bodyguard or Tony Stark's. I Tony say. Stark's like and, yeah, um, driver bodyguard. Yeah, he's a funny guy and gets a bigger role as these movies go on. Um, and then obviously we haven't mentioned this guy, James Rhodes, because he's mm-hmm. actually not played by Don Cheadle in the first no, Iron Man. I, People I, forget that. Yeah, I know, and it, it, it throws me off every time I see him. And I'm always like, oh, that's supposed to be Don Cheadle. But it's like, I wish, because I don't like when they switch characters. Yeah, but he never donned the war machine. Yeah, yeah, no, because in that movie, he looks, in the first movie, he looks at it and he goes, next time. And so, (laughs) that I don't know that actor's name. I can't remember it. But he gets replaced in Iron Man 2 by Don Cheadle. But so he's Tony Stark's, like, best friend who works in the military. And you get some great scenes of them um, just kind of talking back and forth as Tony is being Iron Man and breaking probably tons of laws. Yeah. He is on the other side of it. He's with the like law enforcement and there's some great banter between the two of them. And I say all this to say Rob, the way Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man character can be funny but also not like slapstick and so it's yeah. like cheesy because that's hard with superhero movies and I think Iron Man was the first one to really do it well where it's kind of dark but also funny but not the funny isn't like out of place. Yeah, because that, I mean that was his character too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, because the only people he's ever serious with 
at, in any capacity are Pepper, Rhodes, and Yinsen. That's it. Mm-hmm. Nobody else. He's, he'll uh, he won't say anything serious to anyone else. It's a. It's all. It's kind of like a. It's all sarcastic, like sarcastic, like kind of just like comments and stuff like that. Yeah, he like builds like a shield for yeah, himself exactly. to hide himself from others because yeah. he obviously has. And also in that movie, when wait, is it the second one when Pepper saves his um or OG? Oh, she does it in this one, and then he has to... And then he has to yeah. break it? Oh, so that's fire, too. the original heart he makes, um, he when he's in the cave, he eventually like replaces it with a better yeah. battery to keep him alive. Sorry, I mean, that's the best way I can explain. Like, it's, a miniature, it's a miniature arc reactor. Yeah, and it's this little circle thing in his heart, and so Obadiah Stane kind of like jumps Tony when he's not expecting it at Tony's house, and... What he puts he him in paralysis? It. Yeah, he puts him in the paralysis with the frequency thing. Yeah, and then he rips out Tony's uh, new heart he made, and Tony is then forced to go get the old heart that Pepper saved for him that says proof Tony Stark has a heart. Yeah, and he uses that to power his not only his heart but his suit in the final battle. Yes. And it's important to remember that Iron Man's operating at like forty percent in that final battle against Iron Monger. Yeah, because Jarvis he, says it. In yeah, the suit. I think it, it's, yeah. <laughs> Jarvis is another great character because what he allows um, the director and the writers to do is have constant, like, sarcastic comments from Tony that aren't to no one. They are to someone, and it works so well because yeah. he's like talking to someone because he's a robot. So yeah. his feet, like, his feelings don't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Tony's honestly a dick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what would you say is your? Uh, some of your favorite scenes in this movie that we can maybe like highlight, go through. Um, I'm thinking. Oh, how about the one where so after Tony comes back and shuts down the weapons industry at Stark, mm-hmm. this reporter that he had previously slept with shows him yeah. that the guys who had him captured yeah. survived, and they had more Stark industry weapons. And that's that ta- that city that he goes to is Yinsen City. Remember, says Golmira. She's like, "Have you heard of Golmira?" Oh wow! And, and so that's, and Yinsen says yeah. his family's from Golmira. So he Iron Man finds out about this and flies all the way there and just takes them the fuck yeah. out. And, and then he throws the guy in front of the. <laughs> and yeah, and so he, which it's a great scene, but importantly, you notice that. Um, the main leader of the terrorist organization is not there. And so later in the movie, Obadiah Stane, to punish them for not killing Tony Stark, goes to where I presume Afghanistan or something and kills all of them. Which is wild. That's, what you're, that, that's just a wild thing he did. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say the Ten Rings, that's... I think there's like more branches of it. Oh, there is. There totally is. Yeah. We these. This might be like a lower branch of the Ten Rings in the upcoming Shang Chi movie that's going to uh-huh. be in about a year and a half from now. That's called Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, which is okay. where we're really going to get the real Mandarin. The Mandarin. Yeah, it's okay. Is Iron yeah. in Iron Man three, but that's not the real Mandarin. Sorry yeah. for all that. Um, anything else you want to highlight on this movie? Um, I mean you. We could really do it like all three all in a row because they all lead into each other, but I don't think so. Yeah, so next time we'll do two and three. Yeah, because it's kind of like everything. No, I'm no, starting to think well of we can't two, do. Um, we'll have to do three after we do Avengers. Yeah, we could do that. So maybe next one we'll do Hulk, Cap. Also, Thor. in this side note on this movie, Col- Agent Coulson's in it, I love and that guy. 
so him and he helps Pepper a couple times. They like help her get get a car to drive to Tony or something. I don't know. And, like, never explained how they're never there, really explained. She just kind of believes like he meets Tony, wants to meet Tony and get him into Shield, and that's is. Oh, is that the second one? No, it's no, the first no, this one. Is this it's one. the first one. He meets Nick Fury's in this one. Yeah, that's the post credit scene. He walks. It the post credit scene yeah. of this movie is unbelievable because right after he drops the bomb of "I am Iron Man," which is fucking awesome. You see Nick Fury in Tony Stark's house, and he says, like, you think you're the only person in this world? Yeah. And it basically, he hints that he's forming a team. A team. And Agent Coulson in this movie helps Pepper Potts, helps Tony, does a few things, and then I forget if it's Tony or Pepper says something to him, and he goes, I have to go to New Mexico. Yep. That's the which, setting up for Thor. Which obviously is Thor. And it's amazing how they do that. They did that this throughout every movie. There's tiny little things like that that yeah. they just nail. And the reason that this is also crazy, because now we're so used to seeing it, the the idea of them creating an Avengers movie where they all had solo movies before and it was all connected seemed like impossible. Yeah. It was like, that, that's not going to work because what we were used to with superhero movies, they kind of got canceled once they st- started getting bad. Like, mm-hmm. you have one or two good movies and then it's just done because they're not good. Yeah. And this was a hell of a start and then they built obviously what was a great movie series um we will get better at breaking down these movies the more and more we keep doing it um again send us some recommendations for things to break down and next time we will be back probably talking hulk and thor thank you for listening to the pineapple couch thank you dustin of course and uh stay home for the love of god (laughs) stay home Thank you.